Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And above all, uh, as, we've, as we set our mind and we set our hearts and we set our eyes on your cross and on the, the culmination, the, the, the pinnacle of your cross, which is your death on the cross um, today, God, I pray that you would uh, cut our hearts deeply with the sword of your spirit, that we would be transformed as we see you, as we uh, place our hope and our trust in you, Jesus. As you do a wonderful work in us today. God, we ask you for that. We, we need you to do everything. Uh, we are broken and humble people. We want to put our trust in you. And we want to lay down our pride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the title of today's message is called uh, Famous Last Words. Um, And so to begin, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And uh, in the Garden of Eden, we see the very first death. The very first death. And that death was Adam and Eve participated with him. Um, and, And let me just remind you that story God had placed a tree in the garden and said, you know, don't eat this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and Adam, just don't eat the tree. It's it's really simple. Trust me for all that you need. And you don't need to know. You don't need to be able to tell what is good and evil. You just need me, Adam. And, And Adam and Eve went along with that for who knows how long. Just walking with God, talking with God in a great and and close relationship with God. They would walk together and talk together. So awesome. And then one day, Satan, the deceiver, came to Adam and said, You know what? You should you should eat of this tree. You you depend on God way too much. You don't need God. You could be like God. If you eat this, then you'll know what good and evil is, and you won't have to always say, God, what's this? God, what's that? And you won't have to depend on God. You won't need God anymore, and so you'll be like him. Big lie, because Adam was already like God in that he was righteous. He was already like God in that he was was, uh, uh, able to have a spiritual life and a spiritual relationship with God. He was already, he already had that. But Satan deceived him to trick him to think he was missing out on something. And so Adam ate the tree. And and God said, if you eat this tree, then you will die on that day. And so Adam believed the lie. He took the tree and ate it. And so death was brought into the world. Now, Now, Adam didn't actually die for hundreds of years physically, but spiritually on that day, he died. His ability to have a spiritual life apart from God died. Uh, just like a plant can't live apart from soil and water and sunlight, our souls cannot live apart from God and his life-giving presence. So his spirit died that day. And um And throughout the rest of human history, we see that every human being that's ever been born has been born as a descendant of Adam. And spiritually, we we are born into the same condition that Adam brought us into, which was spiritual death. 
And, uh, and what we find today is that Jesus is going to fix that. He is going to taste the physical death that, uh, and the spiritual death that all of us should experience, but he is going to drink that cup fully himself so that we can be made alive uh, and be born again and have that spiritual life that God intended for us to have. So that's what Jesus is going to accomplish today. Um, so that's the start of death, and Jesus is basically going to end death, and and we see the start of death's authority, the start of death's reign on this world with Adam, but Jesus is called the second Adam, and the second Adam is going to end death's reign of terror on the world as he dies on the cross and consumes all of death's power and scariness uh, in himself. And so we are left with a, uh, a choice to enjoy the life that God has given us and to accept all that Jesus offers us or to choose for ourselves to go back to how Adam had it, which was a life of spiritual death. And that choice uh, when you hear the gospel, that's the choice that we're, you're, you're hearing, you're, you're making, is am I going to accept all that Jesus has done for me, or am I going to go remain or go back to how Adam uh, rebelled against God, and am I, am I going to stay there? And that's, the, that's that choice that we see. But I want to highlight one thing. Adam's famous last words. Uh, Adam, he says, he says a lot of things are recorded for us, but in Genesis chapter 3, Adam said, uh, and this is this is the main thing that you remember Adam saying uh, when God says what has happened. Adam says it was the woman that you gave me. That's Adam's famous last words. I don't know if it's technically his last words, but it's the last words that I remember him saying. It's basically the last words recorded that he taught uh, that he spoke in connection with his relationship with. God and, and his relationship with his wife, really, he passed blame. He looked at his wife and he blamed her. He, I just, it's just amazing. And today we're going to see a contrast. I'm just going to give it to you right up front. We're going to see Jesus come as the second Adam, but instead of blaming his wife for all the sin in the world, Jesus sets his wife free, and he takes the blame. Even though none of it was his fault, he takes all the blame for all the sin of the world. And instead of saying, it was the woman you gave me, God, he says, I love the woman that you gave me. And he sets her free with his last words, which we're going to see today, are very profound and very um Amazing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna recall for us some in history some of the famous last words. You guys know. You remember Custer, General Custer. Uh, he was you know one of those generals that were fighting at the uh, down in Texas, and and uh, you know I think his famous last words were they look like friendly friendly Indians to me. That's a funny one if you think about it. Uh, I got some other ones here that I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you. Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, said this, this was his last words. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. And this was the same Leonardo that painted the Mona Lisa, one of the greatest 
paintings and works of art ever, but he was uh, he was a pretty humble guy, it sounds like. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, uh, all those stories, he died at age 71 uh, in his garden. And he turned to his wife and said, you are wonderful. Then he clutched his chest and died. I thought that was super sweet. You guys remember the actor Michael Landon? He was best known for uh, Little House on the Prairie and Highway to Heaven. Well, he died of cancer in 1991, and his family uh, gathered around his bed, and his son uh, said, told him it was time to move on. And Michael Landon said, you're right, it is time, and I love you all. And then he passed away. And I thought that was super sweet also. John Wayne, the, the uh, famous you know, cowboy actor, he died at age 72 in L.A., and he turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl, and I love you. And he died that day also. Wilson Misner was a, a successful playwright. This one's interesting. He is known for the line, be nice to people on the way up because you'll meet the same people on the way down. Well, um, when Misner was on his deathbed, a priest said to him, I'm sure you want to talk to me. But Misner told the priest, why would I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, actress Joan Crawford yelled at her housekeeper, who was praying for Crawford as she died. She said, darn it, don't you dare ask God's help for me. Don't you dare ask God to help me. Wow, that's a hard heart right there. Um, well, so all those examples of famous last words, and it's funny how some of them really sum up the life of the person who said it. It's, it's very interesting. Well, today we're going to look at the last words of Jesus, and, um, and they aren't, wait till my father hears about this. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and start in Mark chapter 15, verse 37. <clears throat> and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. He cried out something, and then he breathed his last and, and died, right? So he's been uh, hanging on the cross. Well, the question we have, the first question we're going to answer today is, what did he say with that loud voice that he cries out with? After six hours of torture on the cross, and first we're going to look at the human aspect of that, the, the wrath of man. He suffered the wrath of man. Uh, he, he had the worst torture and suffering that any man has ever been through. Most victims of crucifixion spent their last hours in complete exhaustion or unconscious before death. But Jesus was not like this. Though tremendously tortured and weakened, he was conscious and able to speak right up to the moment of his death. Very interesting. The second aspect of his suffering that he's just done, the six hours on this cross, was not just physical and what man was doing to him, but what God was doing to him. The wrath of God was being poured out on him. And we studied this two weeks ago. You know, on the cross, Jesus became, as it were, a, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury and wrath upon all sin. He did it so that we don't have to drink that cup, the cup that we earned. We never have to drink it, but Jesus did. So finally, Jesus has completed this mission of six hours of suffering on the cross. How do we know he completed his mission? Well, 
with a loud voice, he cried out and he tells us so. He tells us that he has completed the mission. And in the book of John, John records exactly what Jesus said at this moment. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says um, that he cried out with a loud voice and said, it is finished, which is one word in the, in the ancient Greek language that the New Testament was written in. It's tetelestai. And that, that word means paid in full. So when you bought something and they wrote a receipt for you that you had purchased a house or, you know, camel or whatever, um, they would write the word tetelestai after they received all the payment for what was being purchased. And it means paid in full. It meant paid in full. Um, and so this cry that Jesus cries with a loud voice, he says, Tetelestai, you know, he's hanging there on the cross and he says, you know, it has been paid in full. The debt of all sin has been paid. All the debt that we owed has been finished by the eternal work of the cross. All the debt of all eternity past, all the way back to Adam's first sin and all the debt of all people that will live in the future has been completely paid for on the cross. And that's what Jesus says. This is not the cry of defeat, like, oh, I'm finally giving up after six hours. But it's a triumphant cry of victory. Okay, victory over sin, victory over Satan. And, you know, paradoxically, it's a victory over death, even though he would momentarily die. But he actually has victory over death. You know, he was, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, we have this amazing verse that teaches us and explains to us what, um, what it gives us some insight into what is going on here. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions, in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, uh, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. All these things are being accomplished by the death of Jesus on the cross. So, we're going to ask this question now. What did he win? What did he pay for? What victory has he achieved for us? And we're going to have three answers to that. The first one is unfathomable mercy. Unfathomable mercy. Why was the cross needed? What, who was the enemy in this battle? The enemy was our sin. Jesus was defeating the power of our sin. Jesus, get, get this, okay? Jesus is the judge of the world, right? He is going to judge the whole world. But because of his mercy and because of his grace and because of what he's doing here on the cross, he faced the penalty that he judged or he inflicted upon sin. So because he's the judge, he inflicts the, the, the most severe penalty on sin that you can, which is what sin deserves, which is death. And because he is our savior, because he's the Messiah, he takes his own penalty that he's prescribed as the judge on sin. He takes it as the savior. And because God is both Father and Son, God can punish 
and be punished at the same time. And that is really what is happening on the cross. God has decreed the punishment for sin to be death, and Jesus, God the Son, has accepted the penalty on our behalf so that we don't have to. I'm going to read a quote from a theologian named Dale. In order for, sorry, let me start over. For in order to save us in such a way as to satisfy himself, God, through Christ, substituted himself for us. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. The cross was an act simultaneously of punishment and amnesty, of severity and grace, of justice and mercy. So at the same time, Jesus is both the most severe punisher of sin and the most gracious savior of sin. He punished himself, you know, God punished himself as Father punished the Son for all the sin of the world so that the Son could offer forgiveness to all of us so that we could be presented back to the Father as a perfect bride for God, a perfect bride for the Son. Instead of, like Adam said, who is this woman that you gave me is so just made my life miserable and it's all her fault. Instead of that kind of attitude like Adam had in the garden, Jesus has this attitude of unshakable love, self-sacrificing love, where he takes all our sins upon himself, accepts the punishment for all of them so that he can give us freedom and life. It's amazing. So the first thing Jesus offers us is unfathomable mercy. We don't deserve mercy. That's why it's mercy. It is so far above us what Jesus has done for us. It's so much deeper than we can ever understand how Jesus suffered and and died at the hand of man and suffered the wrath of God. We will never understand the depths of his love for us. Ever. And it's his mercy that he offers to us. It's his love that he gives to us. The second thing that Jesus has won for us, has brought victory to us, is sanctification. Excuse me. That's the third thing. Second thing is satisfaction through substitution. Big words. Satisfaction through substitution. What I mean there is we are justified by what he has done. This is the greatest victory in history. He has substituted himself, and so he has satisfied all of God's requirements, all of God's punishments, all of God's pronouncements. Everything has been satisfied through what Jesus accomplished here on the cross, through his death. God told Adam, you must die if you rebel against me. If you eat the tr- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must die. And Jesus fulfills the death that all men should die. Jesus takes it for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 
He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is crazy. There's, it describes the, the, the substitution that Jesus does for us. He became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means Jesus has offered us all the righteousness that God requires. That means how righteous do we become when, when we put our faith in Jesus? You become as righteous as God requires, which is perfectly righteous, which is as righteous as God is. That is how God sees you. That is the truth about who you are. Now, the crazy part is we don't always act that way, but God is able because of this work of Jesus is he's able to wash away and wipe away all our sin, even the sin that we, we fall into and we struggle with. He does not see it. He does not judge it because it has already been seen. It has already been judged. It has already been punished on the cross. And so because it's been done away with on the cross, it is no longer present when God views you. He only sees you, the bride that he loves. He sees you as washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees you as righteous as Jesus was. And no, we don't deserve that. And yes, it is too good to be true, but it is true. And our way into that is called faith. Are we going to believe that Jesus took our sin and nailed it to the cross? Or are we going to listen to a different voice? And the other voice that you will hear in your mind and in your heart is, you are guilty you are a sinner, you are not worthy. And all of those voices come from one source, and that is the, the deceiver, Satan himself. He wants you to believe that the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus does not count for you today. And our mission as a church and as the, the followers of Jesus Christ is to, number one, Tell people that the death of Jesus Christ is for them today. It works. It is valid and it is something you can hang on to today and every day. And every time the enemy comes and the enemy tempts you to shrink back and, and to separate yourself from God and say, I'm not worthy, God, and I am a dirty, rotten sinner uh, there's, a, there's a place and a time to confess those things to God, but it should never draw you away from God, but it should draw you towards him and it should bring you to him through the cross. We come and our sin is right there hanging on the cross. We, we cast it on him and it is placed inside him. And as he says, it is finished. We just believe that it is finished and our sin is taken. Then we can 
draw near to God. We can enjoy him as our father. We can enjoy him as the, the heavenly bridegroom and we are his bride. And all of that intimacy starts and ends and is completely bound up with, are you going to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that it worked, that it was sufficient, that all your sins are there? We become as righteous as God is by faith. And it's not something you earn. It is something that is given to you. And you might look in your life and say, but my life shows and proves that I'm not. My life is a a, a long list of failures. That's not part of the deal. God says, I take you and I will transform you and I I will deliver you. And that is the third thing that we learn that Jesus has bought for us. And that is sanctification through substitution. Okay, first, he's, he's bought for us unfathomable mercy that we do not deserve. Second, he's bought for us satisfaction. We are justified. God sees us as righteous. That's where we stand in his presence. No sin. Thirdly, he will transform and he will change you. He will do it to you and for you. Acts chapter 3, verse 16, we reference here, it says, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And that's a story about the man. Dropped my iPad. Uh, that's a story of a man who was healed in the book of Acts. And healing represents and teaches us about how we, even though we, we have these tendencies and this sickness that seems so deeply ingrained in us, we will be healed through what? Faith in his name. Faith in his what he did, who he is, what he accomplished on the cross. Transformation. We will be transformed transformed or healed as we abide in him, as we confess our weakness to him and draw near to him. he, He takes the responsibility to transform us upon himself. He never says, you have to become the bride of Christ. You have to become the child of God. You need to do all this and come to me when you have it all figured out. No, he never says that. He says, come to me with all your failures and all your weakness that you see. And in my presence, I will transform you. I will sanctify you. How? Through substitution. I will Put my spirit in you, and I will remove the rebellious spirit out of your heart. And day by day, my spirit planted inside you will produce a fruit called the fruit of the spirit. And we are told what the fruit of the spirit is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all those things that we know we should be, that we all fail. But we all want to be them, but we all fail. God says, guys, come to me. I will give it to you. 
I will plant myself, my own spirit inside you, and those fruits will naturally come and, and uh, abide in you, and your life will produce patience, love, kindness, long-suffering, and all the things that we know we should be, but we don't have in us. So our verse, our text again today is, is Mark 15, 37, which says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. In the, in the Greek, the cried out is megas phone, which I bet you could figure out what that uh, means. Megas means mega, which means large or loud, and phone means sound or phone. So we get our term megaphone from this Greek phrase. It says, he uttered a loud cry, megaphone, and breathed his last. Now, I want to, I want to focus on the, the word breathed in the Greek, because the word breathed is a verb that is in the aorist tense and the active voice. And you might say, so what? Sounds like Greek to me. Well, let me explain to you why that is amazing and important, okay? First, the aorist tense indicates that it, it's a specific point in time and eternity that Jesus' breathing, his respirations, ceased, okay? So it's at a certain point in time. But the active voice, the, the second part here, the active voice of this verb, signifies that it was his volitional choice. It was his choice, it was an act of his own will, that he breathed his last breath. And this goes along perfect with what we know about Jesus, what he told us in John 10, verse 18. John 10, 18, where he said, No one has taken my life from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative, my own will. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So the Son and the Father, acting in perfect concert and perfect agreement, and Jesus waited until he completed his mission to say his famous last words, it is finished, it is paid for, to telestai. Everything is done. All of death and all of death's power and all of death's scariness and authority has been completely broken. Jesus won a victory, a war for you on the day he died on the cross. He did it freely. He did it willingly. He chose when to lay his life down. He chose when to say it is finished and to cry out. And, and he cried out as loud as he could so that the whole world, everyone that was there could hear him say, it is paid for. It is finished. I have won. No one will ever have to go to hell Again, if they do not want to, you wanted proof that God loves you. You wanted proof that God cared about you. All the proof you will ever need of your value to God is right here on the cross. The price Jesus paid for you. 
He breathed his last breath so that you could have a new breath of life breathed into you. When you first come to know him, he breathes this breath of life into you. And then daily as we spend time with him, daily as we abide in his word and we lift our eyes to his you know, his cross and, and think about what he accomplished for us on that cross, daily he breathes this breath of life into us. The biblical gospel of atonement, which is what we've been talking about, is that God satisfied himself by substituting himself for us. We have been atoned. We've been atoned for, redeemed. There's lots of words we can use. It all speaks of the same thing, what Jesus did for us on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. So a lot of times a pastor, and it's a good thing, will end a sermon with some sort of personal application. So sometimes changing our focus and and bringing it back down to me and and my own life. And I'm not going to do that today because I felt kind of strongly that our focus needs to remain on Jesus. You and your problems in your life are not the problem. They're not the focus. And the solution to all of your problems is to keep your eyes on Jesus. To meditate and linger on what Jesus accomplished for you, what he does for you. Today is all about the the death that Jesus died, the price that he paid. The Father demanded a sacrifice. The Father asked his Son to be the sacrifice. The Son was a worthy sacrifice. And the son willingly offered himself as the sacrifice and then endured through all the suffering and pain as the sacrifice. And then finally, when he was finished, he said, it is finished, but not until it was finished. Not one moment before, he didn't leave out some of your sins when he died on the cross. He didn't leave out the worst dictator, the worst mass murderer he paid For every sin possible, he endured all the wrath. And so we are just going to end our our time together by letting our eyes remember and think about and look upon Jesus on the cross. After suffering all of it, with great victory and great joy, he says, it is finished. His work on the cross should be the first thing we think about every night, every morning, and the last thing we let our hearts rest upon before we go to sleep. And all throughout the day and every night, the cross, it is the source of our life. Because when we look at the cross, we see the second Adam telling us that he loves us, telling us that it is finished. And yes, we know the truth, and he knows the truth, that our sin brought all of this upon him. But he did not turn away. He would not 
turn away from us like Adam did to his bride. Adam who said, this woman that you gave me, God, she's the source of all my problems. I bet they had a long conversation that night. I bet she did not feel safe and secure and loved when her husband blamed her. And maybe it was true. I mean, it was partially true. But he was not a savior. But Jesus, the greatest groom, the greatest husband that could ever be because he is a savior and he never blames his bride, but he takes her into his arms. And he says, I love you. I care about you. And I've paid for everything so that you can go free. That's the gospel. And we're going to leave it right there and let that just soak in our hearts and our minds as we go about this week. And uh, we'll see what the gospel will do in our lives as we let our minds and our hearts remember what Jesus has done, what Jesus has paid for when he said, It is finished with a great loud voice, what he has won for us. Father, I thank you for your great mercy and love. I pray that our minds would not be distracted. Our hearts would be simple and single. That We would only really have one thing going on. And that is we are so full of of thanksgiving. We're so full of gratitude that we've been chosen to be your bride, that you have, instead of blaming us, you have delivered us. You have redeemed us. You have atoned us. You have done all that we could have never done ourselves. And we love you and we will serve you and we will honor you and we will abide with you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.